Action Church, how we doing this morning? We doing well? Come on, Winter Park, Sanford, and South Orlando, everybody joining us online, a rainy day here in Central Florida. We are starting week one of a three-week series we're calling Church Defined. Everybody say church. Church. Church Defined. And we're going to take three weeks today talking about what it means to be the church gathered. Next week, the church mobilized, and then last week, church clarified as we get into a time of, of Q&A. And so if you have any questions over the next couple weeks, make sure you're writing those down uh, here at our locations or joining us online, and then we will have the whole time, uh, the message time in week three of this series. We will begin to just discuss what it looks like to be the church. Any questions we have in this season? Church Defined. I want to take it a little bit old school this morning. Uh, we used to, I used to teach action steps. How many, come on, raise your hand if you were here when I used to teach action steps live. Any, any of the OGs in the house? Seven of you. Come on, anybody at South Orlando or Sanford? I guess we've offended everybody else. They've already left. It's a new group of people here at Action Church. Well, I used to teach action steps every single week. I would teach action step one. Uh, and then I would teach action step three or four. I don't even remember. Maybe Pastor Tyler can, can uh, correct me in a couple weeks when he's up here. But I used to teach action step one, and we started with this old school preacher joke that I want to start today. When I was thinking about church defined, it just took me back to my roots a little bit. And so I want to officially offend everybody in the congregation over the next three minutes and talk about some differences between denominations in churches. And to articulate that, I want to talk about how many of them it would take take to change a light bulb. So here's the first one. This is a new one. This is a new one for me. How many progressive Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Well, at least 10. They need to debate on whether or not the light bulb exists. And even if they agree upon the existence of the light bulb, they will need to may or may not change it because they don't want to alienate or offend anyone who would believe in other forms of light. It's a good one. It's a good one. Okay, let's go to traditional. How many Catholics? Come on, how many Catholics in the room? I didn't make you raise your hand if you're a progressive Christian because it's un under debate if you even are a Christian, if, you're, if you believe that stuff. So I didn't want to go there. So, But here's the, how many Catholics? Because Catholic, any, any people grow up Catholic? Nobody's raising their hand today. Come on, Sanford. Come on, Sanford. How many Catholics did it take to change a light bulb? None, because they still use candles and burn incense. And... <laughs> How many, how many Calvinists? Come on, I went to a PCA. I went to a Reformed High School in Birmingham, Alabama, Briarwood Presbyterian in the house, BCS, Briarwood Christian School. How many Calvinists to change a light bulb? Well, again, none, because before the foundation of time, God predestined that light bulb to be on or off. And therefore, we don't need to do anything about it, anything about it. How many TV evangelists? Come on, how many TV evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, just one. But for the message of light to continue, you need to send in your donations today. Come on, right where you are. God is speaking to you. I see you, sir, eating those Cheetos. He's talking to you, sending your money. Just kidding. It's not us. It's actually how many, how many Baptists? How many Baptists? Come on, I grew up Southern Baptist. How many Baptists to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about changing anything? Okay, last one, last one, last one. How many, how many charismatics? How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Well, it takes 10. One to change it and nine to bind the spirit of darkness in Jesus' name. Come on, God has been building his church for a couple thousand years in a lot of different ways and expressions and flavors. And there's so many different values to each denomination and what they bring to the cause of Christ. And we believe at Action Church we are just one expression of a greater body of believers, the church. And there's, there's a, a, a verse in the, in the New Testament 
where Jesus says, I will build my church. How many of you know if Jesus said he's gonna build something, then we should want to be a part of it. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never overcome it. They will never prevail. Like, like the enemy will never overcome the church. But I need to highlight something today, regardless of, of where you're, you're watching us from or attending. It says it will not overcome it, but it will do its best. The enemy will do its best to try and overcome you. And there's protection in the thing that God is building. There's protection in being involved in the local church. There's protection when it comes to being included in the thing that Jesus is returning for. Here's what 2 Corinthians says. I don't want Satan to outwit us. After all, we are not ignorant about Satan's scheming. And before we talk about the church gathered today, I need to let you know why it's so important. Because we have a real enemy. And God has a plan for you, but the enemy's role and it's his goal is to get in the way of God's plan and ultimately God's perfect destination for you. We have to make sure that we do not get outwitted we can't be ignorant about how he works. And, and my goal for the first few moments of the series is that nobody that calls Action Church home would be ignorant to how the enemy works. First Peter chapter five says this. This is kind of the, the theme verse for this first part of our message today, talking about the enemy's plan. First Peter 5, 8, this is the NIV. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone to, to ruin. He's looking for someone to distract. There's several things I want to, to take note in this passage today. It's written by Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the 12. He was actually kind of in the inner circle of three, really close. And he wrote this in 1 Peter just before he was martyred by Nero. He was about to die for his faith. He was about to give his life for the cause of Christ. And what was going on at the time, Nero had just burned parts of Rome. The emperor had burned. The emperor of Rome hated Christians so much that he burned part of his own city so that he could blame them, so that he could then torture them and persecute them. Our enemy, our adversary, will use certain seasons and certain times to come in direct opposition to Christians. And what you'll see here in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the church rarely fits into the opinion of the world, that there are always things of the world that come against the church. We have a real enemy. Here's the first thing he wants to do. Write this down if you're taking notes. He wants to deceive you. Your enemy wants to deceive you. John 8:44. when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is to lull you into thinking that he doesn't exist, that he's not there. See, we, we, we have a struggle. How many of you have ever struggled through anything? Got some non-strugglers here at Winter Park. Come on, Stanford, South Orlando. <laughs> We're in a struggle, but our struggle is not against who we think. Like the enemy used this situation in people, but I need you to hear today very clearly. It's Action Church's official position that people are not the enemy. Ephesians 6 says this. Let me, let me show you in Scripture. This is not just an opinion. 
This is where we get our position. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is, a, this is a spiritual battle. You can't read this against the, the earthly rulers, against the earthly governors, against the, the president or presidential candidates. Like, they're not the enemy. I got quiet in here. <laughs> they're not the enemy, and they're not the savior. Like, like, like Trump or Biden never died for your eternal security. Let me say it this way. Trump and Biden did not die for you. They probably will die before you because they're really old. Come on, that's funny. And it's not offensive. They are not young. But they are not your savior and they are not your enemy. The fight is bigger. People aren't the enemy. Catch this, Action Church. People aren't the enemy. People are the mission. And we've allowed power and politics to make people the enemy. No, people are who Jesus died for. And so people are not the enemy. People are the mission. It always gets quiet when you say, well, not that person. No. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when did you and I begin to put ourselves over other people and our, our sins were not the same that separated us from God? We, he's, he's deceiving us. The second thing he wants to do is he, he wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate you. He wants to get you vulnerable. He wants to get you away. He wants to get you outside of the thing that Jesus is, is building and, and protecting and coming back for. I wanna, I wanna go old school, back to the Old Testament just for a moment because I find this, this passage very fascinating in Judges 18. And so it says, so the five men went on to the town of Laish and noticed how secure everyone felt. This is, this is a word for Action Church in this season. This is a word for believers in this season. I love how the Old Testament is still speaking today to our, our, our specific and current situation. Notice how secure everyone felt. Their manner of life was Phoenician, and so they were very, very wealthy. They lived quietly and were unprepared for an attack. So there were no tribes in the area strong enough to, to try it, they lived a great distance from their relatives in Sidon and had little or no contact with nearby villages. Notice a couple things before we finish this story. They thought they were safe. We have an illusion of safety as humans. Maybe even more as Americans, we have this illusion of safety and protection and self-regulation and a lot of times self-righteousness that, that we we can figure it out and we can protect and we can do all of these things. Notice they had money. So they had, they had the illusion of safety, they had the illusion of, of money was all that they needed, but they were distanced from community. They were distanced from others. They were isolated. So just go 20 verses later. So they attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. You and I are the most vulnerable when we separate ourselves from community. And I believe we are, have a real enemy and I believe one of the tools right now of the enemy is a real virus, but the greater threat 
is the fear and the isolation of people that makes us susceptible to the real goal, which is messing with people's eternity. We're isolated, but we're safe. We're isolated, but we, we have enough right now, so we feel secure, but when you're isolated, you're, you're vulnerable. When you're isolated, I don't think it's if, it's when you will be attacked. I don't think it's if or when you will be destroyed when you are isolated away from God's people, God's community, God's best for your life. Ecclesiastes says this, chapter four, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. Are you in community? Are you a part of, not just community, are you a part of the thing that Jesus is building and protecting and returning for? Christians even, this is why this message is so important. Christians are being deceived and isolated. And this illusion of safety and short-term security has, has become of greater importance than the reality of our eternal security. I just wanna remind you, I said this back in the summer, following Jesus has never been and will never be considered safe. That's an idol that we worship, not the gospel that we follow. It's just not in there. It's so quiet. We're talking about a battle, we're talking about a war, we're talking about an enemy who is roaring around seeking whom he may devour. It's not a fun conversation, but it's a needed conversation because your and my and the people around us, eternal security is in the balance. And I just wanna, I wanna talk to two groups of people just for a moment. It's the ones that seek comfort. I'm not comfortable is not an excuse a Christian can have. God has called you, I'm just not comfortable with that. Who cares? That's not in there. Now, am I saying being reckless? No. I think the Bible calls us to be cautious based on wisdom. We are not called to be unwise. So at Action Church, nobody's calling you to be unwise. We talk about church defined and what it means to gather and mobilize. And, and I wanna be very clear, if you're watching on, I'm not talking about anybody that has health issues, that is immune compromised, or living with someone that based on your wisdom and your health, you are doing the best thing for your family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that have used the crutch of comfort to stop living on mission. And, and your caution your caution, regardless of what it is, should be consistent. If I could pray one thing over this season of Action Church, I would pray for consistency. Just be consistent. Be consistent. Like if you're gonna stay home, really stay home. If you're skipping church, you should be skipping work. The grocery store, the movie theater, your kids' sports, and your kids better be in virtual school. You're like, wait a second, you're all, I'm all up in your business. Don't allow the things of God to be the only thing you remove yourself from. Well, I'm just not gonna do the church thing. That's fine, just be consistent. Now, I want to praise so many. There are hundreds of Action Church members 
who for very great reasons are staying home right now and you're still giving and you're still serving, you're still leading Zoom groups, you're still business leaders in your community, I want you to know you're still on mission. You are still on mission. I'm talking about the people that have allowed comfort and safety to shrink back just from the things of God and nothing else. We can't choose comfort. But I wanna talk about the other group of people. These are the, these are the renegades. They would probably call themselves patriots. We can't choose callousness. God, I'm about to, somebody's leaving the church over this next statement for sure. You're prioritizing your personal freedom over others' eternal security. And you are doing the cause of Christ a disservice. I'm not gonna do that. That's an attack on my personal freedom. Is it an attack on your life or just your comfort? Because I would flip it the other way and say, well, I'm not comfortable, so I, I don't do anything. Some of you say, well, I'm not comfortable with some of the mandates and regulations. If it's not gonna kill you and it may lead to somebody else living in heaven for forever, get over yourself, sir or ma'am, and put people ahead of you. A lot less clapping here in our gathered room today. I get it, I get it. I'm all up in your business because you don't wanna put the mask over your nose. I'm just here to tell you that it's not gonna kill you, but being a bridge for somebody who doesn't know Jesus may change their eternity. Just, just kind of get over yourself and take off some of that callousness and some of that, that, that personal freedom. You know what, your personal freedom was crucified on the cross. It's in Galatians, and so we're Christians first. And so your opinions and your freedoms and your, your personal preference, if you picked up Jesus, you laid that down a long time ago. Oh, man. Shrinking the church one message at a time. It's the pandemic, it's fine. I just think now more than ever, I need you to catch this, I need you to catch this. We need to fight for people, not against them. We need to fight for people, not against them. We have a real enemy and he's trying to deceive and he's trying to isolate. Why? Because he, he's trying to destroy us. He's trying to destroy you and your calling. So we're gonna be alert. We're gonna be of sober mind because we know that we have a real enemy. Here's the next thing I want you to write down. Here's what I wanna talk about today. I wanted, to, I wanted to build some tension to make sure you know why the church is so important because we have a real enemy. It's not just so we can come and have fun. It's not just so that we could do some, some cool things together and sing some songs. Like we are called to be a part of the church because we are called to be a part of the body of Christ to, to reach a lost and dying world but also to protect ourselves from the enemy. And here's what I need to write down. Jesus is the answer. Be very clear at Action Church, we believe Jesus is the answer. To what? Everything. Like everything, it just, it is, it is it's, it's too simple. Like, he is the answer. Like, what do you, my, my, my marriage is broken, Jesus. Like, like I'm addicted, Jesus. Now we, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost and insecure, I'm depressed, I have mental illness, what's the answer? It's Jesus. Now are there, are there ancillary steps? 100%, but the foundation of it is Jesus. So the answer to defeating the enemy is Jesus. But I need you to catch this today, the church is the method. The church is the action step. Because Jesus said, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what, what is this, this church? I think it's very important that we go back to the beginning. If you're studying theology, there's a, a called the law of first mention. So where was this word or where was this topic or where was this idea first mentioned? It's very, very important. And, and then what kind of supersedes that is what did Jesus say about the topic? And so let's go first off to what Jesus said about the topic and the first time this word church is mentioned in the New Testament. It's a Greek word and it's called ekklesia. Ekklesia is the Greek word for the term church. But it's not a, a church term. It's a Greek word used here by Jesus. But it's actual secular meaning, you got to catch this, is a gathering of citizens called out from the city-states in Greece, out from their homes into some public place for an assembly. It's coming under scrutiny of what church is right now, that I can have church or be the church or do church any way that I want. No, Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, the gathering of believers, the gathering of citizens called out of their isolation, called out of their, their place of, of, of security and home, called out into an assembly. So for simple purposes today, the church is a gathering. The church is a gathering. One of the greatest enemies of the church has been the, the attack on this word. I wanna go through some church history with you today. Again, this is a Greek word, but gathering was changed throughout church history. It was changed because even in the church, what humans want is they want power. You look at politics, you look at religion, the history of religion and church. When, when men and women get involved in something, we mess it up. Come on, remember, you gotta go back. Remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? Like the, the Spirit of God manifests itself and Peter's like, let's build, let's build some idols, let's build some statues, let's build some stuff. And Jesus is like, shut up, Peter. You're part of one of the coolest things that's ever happened before and you're over here trying to build something to remember it, like just enjoy this experience. Like people just, we just screw it up. So in Greek it was gathering and it was changed in church history because Jesus gathering, it, it grew and, and it began to spread under persecution and, 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 and under all the difficulty it began to spread and so when it became big enough, the gathering became political and it began to hold some power. And so they took a German word the church took a German word called holy place or the Lord's place and they replaced that word ecclesia with an institutional word. Put in the Bible, church changed from a movement, catch this, to an institution. But we come to the 16th century, we have William Tyndall or Tyndale depending on what you look up and how you pronounce it. If you ever noticed, I looked up several words this week and uh, there's just a different opinion about everything in life right now. You know what I mean? That was like strong concordance said one thing and dictionary.com said another thing. It's like, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna guess. You know when you're doing theological research and there's different opinion, you live in a crazy time. Come on, somebody. Come on. But in 16th century, William Tyndale translated, I don't know if you know this, the Bible until then, the church had taken it 
out of the hands of people and they put it in Latin. The only problem is most middle class and lower class people couldn't speak Latin. So only a certain select few could read and translate the scriptures, which if you know anything about church history, all they did was really manipulate the scriptures to make people do whatever they wanted to do. Well, this guy started reading it saying this can't be. So he started translating the first translation from Latin to English. And when he did this, he translated this word church back to the original context. Instead of calling it an institution or a place, he translated it as a congregation. So as a, as a movement, as a gathering of people. You know what the church did to him? Strangled him to death and burned him alive. Thus, killing the word for the foreseeable future of a movement or a gathering which put the, the power in the, the gathering, the power in the people. We've had the wrong word. We've had the wrong meaning for this, this term, church, this idea of church. That it's a thing that we do. That it's a place that we go to. That it's an option if we attend or don't attend. The church is not an institution. The church is not a building. The church is a movement. The church is a gathering. The church is a group of people coming together and living on purpose. It's the thing that Jesus is building. And it says this in Matthew 16. This is where we get that last verse from verse 18. But give you some context. is when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do they say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter on this rock. I will build my ecclesia, my church, my gathering, my movement, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's important that we realize what we're gathering for, what we're a part of. The church is a gathering. The gathering is what Jesus is building. And the gathering is what Jesus is returning for. Let us, let us not give up our meeting together is a verse in Hebrews chapter 10. Because the gathering, the gathering builds our faith. The gathering, it builds our faith. I love, I love worshiping on my own. I love putting on some worship music in the morning or going for a run. But if you've, if you've been in church or you've been in a small group or you've been with other believers, there's just something different that happens when there is corporate worship together. And it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. It's biblical. There is, a, there is a biblical precedent to what happens when, when people of faith get together and declare the goodness and the greatness of God. The gathering, it, it builds our faith. It, it shows us that we're not alone. It allows our faith to begin to align with somebody else's faith and, and begin to exponentially, when two or three are, are gathered, God can do anything. There is power in our gathering. It, it builds our faith. There's, there's just moments, if you've never experienced this, where you just just have to be in the room. You ever, you ever try to tell a story about something that happened? I do this all the time with my wife, Stephanie. Come on, guys, you ever done this? You're like, you won't believe what happened today. 
and you begin to tell it and, and you begin to laugh and you see like the look of like, I'm not interested in what you're talking about. It usually has to do with my golf round. I'm like, you won't believe this shot. Or you won't believe what happened today at church. You won't believe what happened on this trip. And you get that person that's just like, yeah, sounds awesome. <laughs> and you get to the end of it and you say what? You say, I guess you just had to be there. I guess you just had to be there. That is what the gathering is. Like, I don't know what happened in the room today. I don't know, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know what happened in that fourth song when, when Devony could barely keep singing because she was overwhelmed with emotion. You just had to be there. Like, the spirit fell in the room. The gathering, it builds, it builds our faith. The church is a gathering. The second thing, the, the gathering, it builds our character because there's a connection piece. There's a connection piece when we're together. <laughs> Texting and messaging and phone calls are so funny. We talked about this before, but I was thinking about it this week. How many of you, like, you, you know, you're gonna tell somebody you love them, you, you send the, the heart emoji? Yeah. I didn't actually let you know. If we ever text, I don't understand emojis. <laughs> First of all, I don't understand why adults text pictures. Like, we learned to speak and write a long time ago. Like, like, I don't know what that, you just sent me seven pictures. Like, this is not, this is not an illustration book. I, 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 got, I, got, I got books with words in them in first grade. It's picture books. Just saying. We're getting dumber as a society. Come on, it's true. Just 17 emojis. I don't know what they mean all the time. I know what the heart means. It means I love you. But that's like a, if somebody sends me the heart, first off, hopefully it's just my wife or my sons. But you get the point. Like, just in general, somebody sends you the heart, you're like, oh, thank you. The next step would be that they send you, I, I love you. And, and I love you over text. It's, it's good. Like, I get it. But it's, there's not a whole lot of emotion there. The next step, when you're on the phone with somebody, you say, I love you. Again, like, that's a, that's a, that's the next step. Come on, guys, don't say I love you to your, your future wife on the phone for the first time. It's just not the best that it could be. There's a next step. There's a FaceTime option. There's an there's a online option. You can see. You can, you can be there. You can say I love you, but it's not the same. Like when you stare in somebody's eyes and say I love you, first off, appropriately, that could be going somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, like, there's a, there's a connection that happens when we are gathered together. The church is a gathering. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians have given their life for the cause of Christ, for the movement of Jesus, for the gathering. Let us not be the generation that ceases to fight for the gathering because we've fallen for the illusion of comfort and safety. Pastor, is this like a, is this like a, a sermon against all the other churches? This is, why, why are you talking about so, so obsessed with gathering in a building? I'm not. We're gathering because it's the only thing that Jesus is building. It's not the building, it's what he's building. And Jesus is the hope of the world. So Action Church, like this is our, our line. This is our flavor. This is who we are. We will gather in our buildings because God gave them to us. We'll gather in homes. We'll gather in parks and families with friends. 
I'm not saying we have to assemble by the thousands. I'm saying where two or three are gathered together. You cannot allow the enemy to separate you outside of family. Your situation, you may have somebody sick at home. It may be three of you live and six people via Zoom. You may be in a park. You may be in a classroom. You may be in a building. Whatever is responsible and wise. But we must gather to pray and to worship to laugh and to cry, we are gathered because that is what the church, it's not even just what the church does, it's who the church is. And Action Church, we found living out the definition of the church that Jesus defined in Matthew's gospel, the church gathered. We will be called out of our homes for a chance to see others called out of their sin. What about the real situation that we're facing in society right now with COVID-19? I just need to be really clear. My greatest fear is not that someone from Action Church would die from COVID. That's politically incorrect, that's socially irresponsible. That's not the two powers that I'm answering to eternally. My greatest fear is that Action Church members would live safely but die eternally. And that we live our whole life based on safety and science and knowledge but miss God. And so we've gotta reach, and we've gotta connect, and we've gotta be creative to do it in so many different ways. We exist to do what reach people where they are, in our locations, in your homes, in your places of business, but we will be a church that gathers. I, wanna, I don't wanna just tell you why, I wanna show you why. I want you to look at these four or five pics from, from just last week. Can we put those up on the screen? That's, just keep scrolling through, that's why we gather. Keep going. Keep going. There's one more. Pastor, you're, you're, you're baptizing people in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah. 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 Why? Because eternity will always supersede temporary at Action Church. Some of you today came here. This is really a, a family meeting, if you will. But you heard about the protection and the hope. You heard about the real enemy that you have, and the answer is Jesus. And it doesn't have to be a specific salvation message for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And so at all of our locations and all of the homes watching right now, I know that dozens of you are being spoken to right now by the Holy Spirit, and you're gonna make a decision that changes your perspective that maybe you've been deceived, maybe you've been isolated, maybe you feel like you've been distracted, like you are about to be destroyed, but today is the day that you find hope and salvation in Jesus' name. I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So right now, wherever you are, if you would bow your head, close your eyes. I wanna lead you through a moment of salvation where you make a decision to follow Jesus. That today really could be your day of salvation. 
so honored to lead you through this moment, but the words that I'm saying and the, the words that you're about to pray are not that important. It's really the idea that you are surrendering your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is leading you right now to surrender control of your life, to say, not my will, not my way, but I'm giving complete control to Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life for you so he could die in your place really as you. And his death on the cross gives you access to grace, mercy, forgiveness. It is your salvation. His resurrection from the cross gives you and me, gives us access to victory and power. He did all the hard stuff, but there is something that you and I have to do. We have to receive him. The book of Romans says that if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, that word Lord is important. It's the idea of surrender, that he's in control and you and I aren't. If we'll do that, then we can begin a relationship with him. What if you did that today? All of our locations and all of the homes watching, today you want to start a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, for the first time, or maybe today's a day of recommitment, you realize today that you've prioritized some temporary things, some comfort things, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that it's time to realign, it's time to re-up, it's time to recommit your life today. So for the first time, or by recommitting your life for the first time in a long time, you say, I need Jesus. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Can we get hands up here at Winter Park? One, two, three, proud of you. Four, two more in the stadium. Come on, Stanford, South Orlando. Come on, if you're sitting in your living room right now, your kitchen table, just raise your hand. Sign of surrender, obedience. It's awesome. Put your hands down. If you raise your hand, pray this in your heart as I pray out loud. So they say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And today I'm confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart that you are the Lord and I'm giving you that place, complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. God, I pray for all of us. Every single one of us that calls Action Church home. God, I pray that we would let this message sink in today and that we would do everything in our power to fight to be a part of the thing that you are building. It will look different for so many people in this season. But God, I pray for strength, for boldness, for wisdom, for clarity. God, let us be a consistent church. Let us be a clarifying church. Let us be a church that Christ is building and protecting and returning for. We've been found faithful in reaching people in this season everywhere that they are and connecting them to all you have for them. We love you. We thank you for choosing to use us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions? Come on, really celebrate them.